Welcome to the podcast of ideas. This is a recording of the debate, The Battle Over Birth, Should We Stop Having Children?, which took place at the Battle of Ideas Festival on Sunday the 3rd of November 2019. The debate is introduced by the chair, Ellie Lee. Okay, well, welcome everybody um, to this discussion. It's a strand of discussions called Science and Society. We're starting off this morning um, with the battle over birth. Our question for discussion, which our panellists are going to address um, with their views on it to start off with, should we stop having children? Uh, My name is Ellie Lee and I'm going to be chairing the discussion. I'm an academic at the University of Kent, where I am the director of a research centre called the Centre for Parenting Culture Studies. Um, And we are delighted every year to be able to uh, programme various discussions at this event. It's a great opportunity for us as a research centre to discuss questions which uh, we're very interested in, um, in terms of issues affecting um, parents, families and so on. Uh, And obviously one um, that couldn't be more obviously central um, to all of that um, is whether we should be having children in the first place. It's obviously, in some sense, an old discussion. So for anybody that knows anything about the um, history of family planning, um, developments of uh, contraceptive technologies and so on, um, part of that has always been influenced by a perception that at least certain people um, shouldn't be having children. Um, And it may be that uh, we want to discuss part of that history um, of concerns about people having children or who should be having them as part of what we're going to talk about. But really, the impetus for having this particular discussion at this moment was really Blythe um, Papino, who's one of the people on the panel. Um, She's going to be speaking first, because she has initiated a campaign called Birth Strike. And it was the news and reporting of Birth Strike um, and the arguments that she was making which made us think it would be good to have this discussion. Obviously, subsequent to that, Um, We've heard from um, Prince Harry and his wife um, that they're not going to have any more children um, because of what they think about the environment and so on. So there's lots of news and discussion about this whole issue all the time. Um, So I'm delighted to welcome Blythe. Um, She's also a songwriter and singer, so I think is probably used to being on um, (laughs) stages like this where you have very bright lights shining in your eyes, which makes it difficult to see the audience. But anyway, that's fortunate that she knows about that. So she's going first. Um, Our second speaker is going to be Anne Faraday. Um, Anne is the uh, Chief Executive of British Pregnancy Advisory Service, um, which is Britain's main provider um, of abortion services to women in this country. Um, And she's also the author um, of the book, The Moral Case for Abortion. Um, So she's going second. Third, Alistair Curry. Delighted to welcome Alistair, who's the Head of Campaigns and Communications for Population Matters, um, which is a um, campaigning organisation Um, as the name suggests, concerned with population. Now, last, this is Ashley Frawley. Um, Ashley is a sociologist from the University of Swansea with an interest in new social movements um, and the impulses behind new social movements. Um, So I'm delighted that um, she's agreed to speak on the panel too. So, Blythe, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Hello, everyone. Um, Thanks for having me here, uh, firstly. So I think the first thing I want to say is to tackle the question a little bit. Um, I have a little problem with the word should in the question um, because I think it immediately creates a sense of judgment. I'm basically incredibly pro-choice, so I don't really think that 
we should be asking the word should. Um, so I'd quite like to reframe it as, is it okay to have kids? Um, in terms of my slot and what I'm talking to you about. Um, uh, and I would talk about that in two ways. My time with Birth Strike and speaking to people in Birth Strike, and there's 600 of the people who signed up and they've all sent in statements about why they're deciding not to have children um, in the face of ecological crisis. Uh, and I think that it's really important that people recognise there are two ways of looking at that question. Uh, should we or should we not have kids, or is it okay to have kids? Um, the first pe way that people approach it is how is, what is the life of that child going to be like? Um, so it's a sort of safety perspective um, uh, way of looking at that question. And then the second way is more about um, uh, our relationship to the world and our resources. Um, so I'll go two-pronged, basically, to just try and break it down a little bit. So my answer to the first half of the question, as in, is it safe to have a child? What kind of life would that child have in the face of ecological breakdown and potential civilization breakdown, as I see it, and as a lot of people see it in the birthright community, is absolutely, yes, it's fine to have kids. Um, but what you need to recognize is they might, they might not have a very long life, um, they might not have the kind of life that, that um, we expect, certainly in the developed and Western world, um, civilised, supposedly civilised world. Um, uh, they might go through a lot of stuff, basically, but I believe that everyone should have the choice to have kids, and I totally respect everyone who's still making the choice to have kids, even though they're fully aware of the ecological crisis and what kind of effects that could have um, on the child themselves. Um, so secondly, the second half of the question, um, relationship to kind of um, uh, population and a relationship to resources and consumption and our general overconsumption as a species and the fact that we're using far more of our resources than, than we can uh, or we should be. Um, and my answer to that question is um, I also think it's still okay to have kids. Um, and I'm dead against the idea that um, we would have like a general should not have kids, we should be having kids, um, societal view towards birth in that sense, because for several, several reasons. Firstly, I think that the idea of reducing birth rates as a fix for the environmental crisis is a bit of a moot point. Uh, now, it's, I don't think it's possible to do that. Uh, there's too many of us, uh, and we're consuming far too quickly, uh, and also the climate crisis is so bad, uh, it's happening so quickly and it's developing so quickly that, um, uh, yeah, there's a great study by PNAS um, on how a human population isn't really a fix for the crisis um, in that way, and there's a load of models that they put through um, that show all the different scenarios, whether it's um, something kind of horrific like a worldwide um, population control measure, one child kind of China thing, um, which obviously I'm dead against, um, down to um, sort of more slow ways of, of changing people's perceptions around birth and maybe trying to bring the birth rate down. None of that works. So it's kind of a moot point. It's also ethically problematic. I think that it would create a, a lot of stigma for especially people um, in the majority world, people, uh, women, um, people of colour, people um, who are poor. Um, and 
Yeah, I, I, I see it as a, as a massive problem, even if you're talking about slight, <coughs> slight changes to the way that we, we look at birth, if we're, if we're trying to create that sort of general gist that, yeah, we should probably not have children or, or have less children. And I'd rather, I understand definitely the population is a, is a factor in our resource <coughs> issue, but I'm much more interested in overconsumption. I'm much more interested in systematic change and what we can do, which is probably a lot more, was definitely a lot more, if we were able to collectivize. So for me, the idea of focusing on birth as a fix for the climate crisis is kind of undermines what we can do as humans um, in, to change the crisis and to try and avert a lot of the crisis. If we collectivize, if we change the system that we're in, which forces us to overconsume, especially in the um, civilized world, um, then I think we could, we've got a, a lot more of a chance to actually maybe stop extincting ourselves. Um, yeah, I'm going through a lot of points here. Also, birth is not something that's often able to be controlled. I've met a lot of women who tried their hardest not to have kids and ended up getting pregnant having, having that kid anyway. Um, it's not always something that you can, you can control, um, especially for people who don't have access to contraception. And that's why there would be um, uh, potential issues with um, stigma and oppression of people who don't have access. Um, what else? Systematic change. That's what I'm up for. Um, so I'd rather it was a collective issue rather than focusing on we all we can do as consumers is you know we're constantly told like the, the biggest thing that we can do is, as individuals within the system is to stop having kids because apparently that's the most we can do I disagree with that you know a hundred of us could shut down a coal mine uh, for a day and that would prevent that would prevent the same amount that you would save supposedly in a year for not having a kid so okay. <laughs> that's my story all right thanks <laughs> um. Um, yeah, thanks for inviting me to address this. I'm, uh, I often feel as though I'm sometimes a little bit behind the curve in looking at uh, some of these so new social movements. And I have to confess that the first time that I came across the birth strike argument was when I was involved in making a film that's actually being shown later on today, Big Plug, come along to the session uh, four o'clock for the film on the value of life and this was a, um, a series of lectures that um, put together with with John O'Brien um, and uh, it was some discussion that was filmed in front of an audience in Amsterdam a genuine student audience and at lunchtime at the lunch break one of the students um, asked if he could have a chat with me because he'd heard that I'd written this book, The Moral Case for Abortion. And we just had the saddest conversation that I can remember having with a, a really bright guy in his early 20s who came up to me and said, did I think it was really bad that he wanted to have a family because his friends had told him that it was morally wrong to have children? And what did I think about that? And we had a really good conversation with it where, you know, I was really trying to explore with him why anyone could possibly think that it would be in somehow bad or immoral for him to have a child when our children, whichever way we look at it, are the future they are the path that we have into doing things going forward and the ambition to continue our values and to continue our lives into the future seems to me 
to be uh, a very natural and a very a, a very good thing to do. Um, and I explained to him that although I'd written a book called The Moral Case for Abortion, I could easily write one in the same take called The Moral Case to Have Babies. And in fact, while BPAS is, as Ellie says at the moment, an abortion provider, mm. we are going to be starting up by the end of next year our first non-for-profit infertility clinic because it's all about choice. It's all about enabling people to make decisions for themselves. And the reason why we want people to be able to make decisions for themselves is because we actually think that human quality of deciding, of taking control of your future, um, and, and indeed through that, the future of humanity is a really good thing. So I'm bothered by the birth strike movement. I'm bothered about it because I think that it's uh, a bit misanthropic. I think it sees people as a problem. Um, I think it's incredibly pessimistic about humanity and what we can do. But mainly because there are two main points that I want to throw out for consideration. The first one, and again, this confuses people, given that I spend my life facilitating abortions for people, is that I have an enormous presumption in favour of life. I actually think having children is a really good thing. I think bringing new life into the world, raising new people like us, is an enormously good thing. And I also confess to a large degree of speciesism. You know, I am really pro-humanity. I think we matter. I think the contribution that we bring, the development that we bring, what we are, really, really matters. And I think it's horrific to see people and to see children in terms of what they consume. You know, the sort of notion that we, we measure up what the carbon footprint of a child or a person should be, um, or what its sort of weight of carbon emissions should be, rather than what it can contribute to the world, is, 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 is pretty grim. Um, and that's not really a view that I really want to hold. So the first thing is I've got a presumption in favour of life and human life in particular. But the second point that I want to throw out uh, for consideration is also something to do with the, the personal is political and a kind of breakdown between a world which formerly we've regarded as a private world, an intimate world of ourselves and decisions that we make, and what politics is. And we had a discussion on it yesterday uh, in this very room, in fact. And I think to a large extent, we feminists are partly responsible for this sort of notion that the personal is political. And that there's an element of truth in it. But when Susie Orbach wrote Fat is a Feminist Issue, which was one of the very early expressions of this in 1978, what she meant was the diet and the way that we look is influenced by the political and social circumstances that we're in. She didn't mean you have to be fat to be a feminist. That's not what she was coming from. It was <coughs> kind of living your life according to a particular thing. And I think that um, it's very important that we see that the personal decisions and the way that we present ourselves in the world and the decisions that we make about our family and our intimacies, whether we have children, who we marry for heaven's sake, 
you know, is not necessarily expressivist of political viewpoints and arguments that we might have out in the world. The fact that I've been married for more than 35 years to a white Jewish guy does not mean that I am... um, the, 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 that I am a racist in that I choose, chose to marry a white guy rather than a black guy. The fact that my husband happens to be Jewish says nothing about how I feel about anti-Semitism or pro-Zionism. It's simply a personal decision that I took. And I spend a lot of time in my job arguing that when women come to us for abortion care, they do not come to an abortion clinic to exercise their reproductive rights, to exercise their right to abortion, like you exercise your right to vote. They don't come to us to express their view about whether abortion is right or wrong, or whether it's right or wrong to have a child. They come to us because they're dealing with something in their personal lives. And that is separate. We see women for abortions who, frankly, will tell us that they are absolutely anti-abortion and anti-choice. They think that abortion is wrong, but in their circumstances, they think it's wrong in principle, but in their circumstances, they absolutely feel that they need to go down that route. Now, are they being hypocritical? Is it hypocritical to not live your politics? Actually, I think we need, in society as it is at the moment, to be untangling a personal sphere where we live our lives according to our personal, individual ways in which we want to relate to each other intimately. And that involves the way that we relate to our children and politics, which is about changing the world. And I'd like to see people bringing children into the world because they are the vehicle for which the future is going to be changed. And if we have no children, we absolutely have no future. Thank you. Thanks. Alistair. Um, Before I start, could I just ask, could everyone in the audience who's a parent put their hand up, indeed on the panel? Okay, not very many of us, (laughs) actually. Uh, I'm a parent. um, And first of all, I'd just like to say I absolutely agree with with Blythe, this question about should. And let's try and divorce looking at the uh, the issues that surround with judgment. I think, you know, just like Blythe, like I hope all of us here, we're not here to judge the choices that, that, that people make. That doesn't mean that there aren't potentially choices which can have better effects than others. So I, I'm a father, and I'm going to answer the question as a father. Um, I've got a nine-year-old son, and 10 years ago when my wife and I were thinking about having children, um, at that point I was working for an animal rights organization, and my business was alternatives to regulatory toxicology tests uh, in animals. Uh, and we decided to go ahead and have a child in the way that, that, that most people do. We've been married for a little while. We both, we, we both wanted kids. Three years ago, I went to work at Population Matters, which fundamentally is an environmental organization. We look at one aspect uh, of environmental problems. We're fundamentally an environmental organization. And over the last three years, across my desk for three years, has come more and more information about our environmental crisis. I say to you honestly, If I was making that decision now, I'm not sure I'd make the same one. I fear for my son's future. I really fear for my son's future. He's going to, hopefully, he's going to be around until until the end of this century. I am certain that my son will have a less easy life than I've had. I think the worst case scenario for my son is one I don't even want to think about. And I don't say this because I'm 
anti-human or I'm by nature a pessimist. I say that my position on this comes from having learned about what's going on in our world. I have changed as a result of what I do, of the things that I've learned and what I've seen. I also, as a parent, you have to, parenting is, and Anne touched on this, it's an optimistic choice. It's a choice about the future. It's about, it's about how you think about the future. And if you're going to be a parent, you always, you want to picture that better future and you want to imagine how your child might contribute to that, to that better future. Um, so what, I, what I'm focused on, what I think about, is the ways in which we can avert what is, what is coming our way, unless we do that, uh, unless, unless we make those choices. And I think it's very important when we're talking about this issue, and, and um, sort of Blythe touched on it and Andy as well. Let's not be binary in this, okay? It is not a choice between addressing population and childbirth and tackling consumption or climate change or individual choice or any of these, uh, these other areas. The IPCC in its, uh, not, in fact, not the IPCC, a member of the IPCC when they launched their very concerning 1.5 degree report last year said, this isn't a question of what we do uh, and, what uh, and what we choose to do. Said so we're, we're in a situation now where nothing can be left off the table, where we have to do what we can do in order to avert what's coming. Population matters addresses population, um, about the number of us. The number of us on this planet is not the thing which determines our future. And again, I, I agree with Blythe entirely on this. It's what, we, it's what we do and it's, it's how we consume and the choices that, that we make. But each one of us, my son included, who I love, needs land, food, water, infrastructure, energy. Each one of us produces waste of one kind, of one kind or another, pollution, climate, climate emissions. I can love my son and I can love human beings and, uh, and be pro-human being and recognize that those two things coexist, that, that, that my son, that all of us here have a negative effect on the environment and that, and that human beings are a good thing. There's nothing anti-human or anti-natalist um, about our position. Uh, as one of, one of the people in my organization says, I love babies and you can, but you can have too much of a good thing. And that really nails it down. I love dogs and I love my dog. I wouldn't want 20 of them in my, in my house. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything about what you feel about human beings uh, and their potential. I think the potential of human beings is it, it's phenomenal and almost infinite. But to use the words of our patrons today, David Attenborough, there's, well, paraphrasing, there's no environmental problem that wouldn't be easier to solve with fewer people and harder to solve with more people. And that's essentially true. And I think intuitively, we all know that. When we're, if, if you think about the world, we're at 7.7 .7 billion now. The population has more than doubled in my lifetime, all those people. And I think we will talk about inequality, which is really important. And I'm sure we'll touch on this later on. Not that all those people are making an impact in, in the same way. It's particularly incumbent on those of us who are making a huge impact in a place like this to think about our choices, which includes the size, uh, the size of our families. Ashley. Yeah, so I think what's really interesting about this discussion is, um, I mean, there's, it's, it's actually a really good discussion to have because it brings together so many different threads that are, I think, are really common in the way we think about social problems now, the way we think about social movements. Um, but one thing that I want to focus on is, is how very old ideas, ideas that have been around for a long time and with a really dangerous history, are being rehashed in a really kindly, therapeutic, voluntaristic kind of language. So the argument that you were saying, so I, I, you know, is it okay versus should? I, you know, 
it's not that I'm saying you should do this. I'm just, we should think about whether or not it's okay because life isn't gonna be quite so great. We shouldn't be able to, we may not live the life that we expect in the West. Well, I could make that argument about whether or not it's okay to have kids when you're poor, right? Like we know that poor people, there are health inequalities and poor people don't live as long. Is it okay to bring children into the world if you're poor? And you know, people make that argument. They actually say that. Um, and I think that what's, what's happening is when I was, I was, so that's a really bad idea. Like we, we, we've just come out of, in the 20th century, um, really negative um, um, repercussions of having that kind of idea, you know, sterilizing people. Like people were actually saying to solve social problems, we need to sterilize d disabled people. You know, we should sterilize all these different people. And then of course it went down uh, a, a, a horrific kind of route. Um, but we're, we're recasting these ideas, not these exact ideas, but very similar kinds of ideas through therapeutic and voluntaristic language. And as I was, as I was sort of thinking about what I was gonna say today, I was kind of joking around and wondering, is there any limit to which we can recast these bad ideas of the past through kindly language? And I was thinking like um, voluntary euthanasia, right? So older people, you recognize that it is, you know, you're, there's a lot of you and it's, it's quite hard for young people today to work and have your taxes be paying to take care of you. Should you not, you know, just kind of, you know, volunteer? I'm not saying you should. Should you not volunteer to be euthanized? Don't you think that that would be a good, I'm not saying you should. And I was joking about this. And then I realized, you know, this is actually happening. You know, in Canada where there's, you know, um, there was a case where a man with very profound disabilities was asking for assisted living. And the uh, health professionals kept implying yeah, you know, because it would be very expensive. A very, he had very profound disabilities, um, and he wanted to live in the community. And they were basically implying, yeah, you know, but we have euthanasia, and uh, <laughs> that is an option. And they kept pushing, and he felt like he was being pushed into uh, voluntary euthanasia. And, he, and, and the headlines in the newspapers were, man offered assisted dying instead of assisted living. Um, sterilizing indigenous women in Canada. So there's a court case right now. Um, in tw uh, up until 2017, indigenous women were being sterilized. Um, so when they were having C-sections, at that point, they were being pushed into uh, voluntarily sterilizing themselves uh, or being sterilized. Uh, and I can guarantee that is not part of a, uh, of a eugenic, a conscious eugenic program, but more like, well, these women are very poor. A lot of them have substance abuse issues. Wouldn't it be best if you sterilized yourself? You know, wouldn't it be? And, and they're like open on an operating table, pressured into this. Um, and I found it, or like women being emotional and irrational. <laughs> so that's like an old, really like negative idea. And I actually routinely get manuscripts. So I'm on the editorial board for Zero Books. And it'll be like, if only we could put women in positions of power because women are ruled by their emotions and they're closer to nature. But I mean, this is a good thing, <laughs> which was in the past a very uh, damaging and, and uh, insulting idea of women that kept them out of public life. But now it's like, no, no, ladies, I mean, this is a good thing. Um, so we're sort of rehashing these old damaging ideas in, uh, in ways that sound really nice. And, it's, uh, and in some ways, this has always been the case, because obviously people who, you know, during colonialism, people who went on civilizing missions, they, they truly felt that they were doing good things, and they definitely 
um, communicated what they were doing in very uh, nice language. But I think what's interesting now is that there's nothing really fighting against these ideas. We've got a situation where if something sounds good, well, it just must be, right? Um, so as the left and right have been untethered from their sort of economic bases, their traditional bases of support, um, it becomes the left is like nice people who care about people, and the right is these mean people. So if you're like a little rough around the edges, you're alt-right. <laughs> and if you're nice, if you're a nice person, you're you're left. So then, if an idea is cast in these really nice-sounding ways, um, it's very disarming, and it becomes very difficult to fight against these ideas. Um, and I, it strikes me that we aren't actually rejecting these old bad ideas; we're just changing the sources of them. So um, censorship. Is it bad when the state does it, or is it just bad in general? Some people go, no, it's fine, it's not censorship because a corporation is doing it. Or it's not bad because I censor myself, right? So what's interesting is that the source of the coercion has moved inside our heads, and that's the way that power now exists. It's not enacted from the outside. It's not a coercive, you know, China, the state telling you, you must do this. Now it's like you are invited to police yourself. And it's not so bad because I'm doing it to myself, right? So I see this with loads of different movements, like medicalization. People would reject that. You know, don't tell me my experiences are, are medical problems. They're structural problems and that sort of thing. And it's moved to, how dare you doctors medicalize me? I will medicalize myself, thank you very much. <laughs> I have self-diagnosed. You know? and, and so it's, it's actually become much more insidious, because it's much harder to fight against, because it sounds so good, but also you can't name a common enemy. You can't name the enemy. Who is it? It's you. It's yourself. It, the, you are the only barrier to the wonderful future that lays in front of you. You punish yourself. Look at um, the, uh, you know, um, in Canada, there was a climate march. Trudeau was out with them. And that's so disorienting. You're like, well, who am I even fighting against here? Hmm. I have no idea. And so a lot of these movements will use the language of decolonization, or, or, um, but it actually might be a form of what we call deep colonization, or what Yang Ji, uh, a Chinese sociolo sociologist, calls kindly power. Power enacted through a kindly language intended to bring people on side. And this makes it much more insidious and harder to fight against because it's disarming, and it makes it very, very difficult to see when it sounds so good why we should be fighting against it. But these are old ideas. These are ideas that brought us down a very bad path in the, in the past. And we need to bring forward an idea of human action that is very positive, because that is the only way that we can solve the problems. The only things that can solve the problems on this planet are us, human beings, the human beings that will be born, the human beings that are alive now. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think what I'm going to do, actually, is just come straight out to you. Um, I think we've got some. There are some pretty clear lines on the panel here, I think, um, two and two. <laughs> um, and I mean, some pretty uh, big discussions to be had here um, around whether you're both actually encouraging kindly power and ultimately um, coercion and control and misanthropy. Yeah. Um, and whether any of this should ever be made the subject of personal life. Um, and then the wider set of issues around um, the status of population as part of um, what we think about development, economy, um, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, masses for us to discuss. So I'm going to come straight out. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to address this. No 
normative question, you know, uh, should people stop having children versus is it okay to have children? Because, I mean, I do think it matters. And it seems to me to kind of speak to some of the weird ways in which the kind of language of reproductive choices morphed over the past few decades. Because to me, that idea of pro-choice meant that um, society, culture, the state, whatever, shouldn't kind of force women to do something with their bodies or make decisions that they otherwise wouldn't make. And that's why we have legal access to abortion and everything else. What we seem to have now, in a lot of kind of post-choice language, is this sort of idea of um, actually, you know, we, we really don't have a view as a society about whether it's good for you to have kids or not. It's okay. So if you're going to have kids, it's on your head there, right? It's your individual choice. It's your individual responsibility. And as a parent, you make that choice and you should kind of cope with the consequences. And you get this sort of coming out quite a lot in terms of sort of parenting culture, where um, people do describe this very individuated experience of having children now, where they don't say, oh, it's a bad thing to do, but it's sort of outside the wider context that this is a good thing to do as a society. So I think it's perfectly possible to, as a society, and, and it's right to say, you know, it is a good thing for societies to reproduce, to replace themselves, to have children, to build the future. That doesn't mean that all women should have children. Individual women can make those choices, but uh, they can make choices not to. But in a kind of optimistic context where um, it is seen as this is the right thing to do. And I think, actually, I kind of agree with what you've been saying about this, you know, this kind of kind of power domination and the, the, the problems of sort of the therapeutic language around this. But I also think that policy trajectories and various kind of economic uh, trends at the moment are actually exercising quite a lot of uh, influence um, in framing people's sort of decision to basically encourage people to think that actually having kids is too much of a risk worth taking, uh, too, too much of a difficult thing to do, and it's actually making it very difficult for people to make that individual decision about it's good to have a family. Right. Um, I agree with Anne that this is very much, it should be a very much personal issue. Um, I wonder what the panel thinks then of the criticism or shaming of people who choose not to have children. Because I think we just seem to have a problem with choice of any kind and we should just mind our own business. So I see articles every day about how single, educated, middle class women are choosing to be child free and how selfish that is and, and so on. I mean, should we just butt out people's life choices. Obviously, because um, a lot of people that are in, most people that are in um, same gender relationships, um, if we're thinking cisgender people, um, can't conceive naturally. Uh, question to Alistair, do you think that then, that those people in same gender relationships should in a sense take one for the team and just adopt and not conceive naturally? Because obviously people in, in different gender relationships um, sometimes can't as well. Do you think that those people should, yeah, in a sense, take one for the team and adopt and not have kids? Question for Blythe. So you're saying we in the West shouldn't have children. Uh, so who should then? Is it, is it people in, uh, in other parts of the world who, who aren't uh, Western and, and wealthy? I mean, who, who should be having children? Sure, you can't all just not have children. Okay, I'm going to take some comments just coming along this way. 
if you want to. Sure, Anything yeah. You want to respond I think to? probably I've been quite confusing because I tried to shove in far too many points in my first bit. So I'm definitely not saying that anyone should stop having children. What I'm saying is that there are a, there is a growing movement of people who are too afraid to have kids um, and feel also that they may not want to contribute to the ongoing decline on the planet. Um, so my position and the position of birth strike, which a lot of people get very confused, is that we're trying to coerce people or tell people not to have kids. That's not what we're doing. We don't think the population um, reduction is a fix for the climate crisis. What we are saying is that we are either too afraid or we need to go on the street and become activists and we don't have time to have a child. At this point in time, the next five years is incredibly important in terms of um, the welfare of our species and whether or not we're going to exist um, past the end of the century. Um, so for women like me, who I'm 33 and I'd quite like to have a kid with my partner. I love my partner and I really want him to be a dad. Um, but I'm one, my main reason is that um, I'm uh, an activist now and I'm um, probably going to put myself in a position where, um, yeah, I, I don't have time basically and I don't have the time to create the resources to create the life that I would want for the child as well. Um, and there's plenty of people in birth strike who are also basically just too frightened having done a lot of research into the climate crisis. So let me just get that straight. So I'm not telling anyone to not have kids, um, but I do think it's interesting that, that you thought that. Um, and I'm sorry if I, if I put my position out um, incorrectly. Also, I did say that we should change, change the question from should to is it okay, but actually that's not really what I meant. What I meant was uh, the question should just be for ourselves to answer. And the question should just be, do I want a child? Inform yourselves about the climate crisis. Figure out what you think. Do you think it's just not happening? Do you think it's not that bad? Um, do all the research that you can. Look into all the different angles and, and make an informed choice. And that's pretty much everything that Bear Strike is saying. And, yeah, on, on that last point as well, I, I do think um, population is a factor, but it shouldn't be the framework for our focus. And I don't think it can be a fix. Um, and I think that's ethically problematic to come at it from that angle, but hopefully it would be a side product of um, systematic change, um, uh, uh, creating equality between um, us as a species, which would also be really good in terms of sharing because we're going to lose a lot of our resources and there's going to be a lot of pressures on us as a species. So I'm really sorry because I think you put forward a question that doesn't, I can't really answer because I don't, that's not my view. Yeah. Sort of suggesting. Am I? Am I? That's really interesting, by, though, isn't it? By posing the question that we should all be thinking about our choices. Yeah. Um, you're sort of kind of saying, well, think about your choices and joke. Absolutely. That's <laughs> what the media said that we were doing. That's what it sounds like. The words birth strike. That's what the words birth strike sounds to you. And if I, if I may, a strike sounds like something you do in order to create a change. And it's Thank a temporary you. thing that you do in order to create a change. And when you have the change that you, that you seek, then uh, then The bus driver on strike doesn't behavior. necessarily mean he doesn't want to drive a bus. Since you started, do you want to keep going with anything else <laughs> yeah. that you want well, to no, come back on in the wizard Sorry, I mean, I kind you. of applied. Did you want to say anything? Oh, well, no, think, no, carry no, on, no, carry no, on, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you need to move on a bit. Anyway, so you go now. Okay. <laughs> um, first of all, to answer your question that you had, the word we've had a, had a few times here, which is a really important word, is choice. Anyone, everyone should be able to choose whether or not to have children. And so I'm very pleased to hear that BPAS is, is introducing infertility 
treatment because people should have that choice. The world is not going to be saved, and the world shouldn't be saved by people who are forced into a situation where they can't have children, not having children. What we seek at Population Matters is that people choose to have fewer children where they can. An awful lot of people can't make that choice yet. So, so where this starts off from is empowerment. And the recipe for bringing fertility, which is, uh, um, and fertility is, a, a, I'm speaking of fertility in, in the sort of statistical term rather than infertility as, as in um, the, the medical term. The recipe for bringing that down is, is well known. It's reducing poverty and also inequality. It's um, empowering women. It's ensuring everyone, especially girls, but everyone has high quality education. It's making sure not simply that people have access to uh, modern contraception, because actually almost everyone does, but there are many other factors that prevent them from using it. And it's giving people the choice and, and, and explaining to them the reasons why having a smaller family might be a good thing. That's the, the, those are the solutions, those are the things that, 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 that bring down the number of children that people have. Bring down the number of children that people have is going to help and it's going to make a big difference. Now, again, just to amplify something that, that um, Bly said there, having fewer children right now is not going to solve the climate crisis. Let's be absolutely clear about that. The, uh, the IPCC said last year that we have 12 years to fix, to fix climate change broadly. That, that's what they said. Changes in fertility just now will make a difference. Any child that isn't born in the, in the next 12 years won't be producing carbon in those 12 years, but it's not, going to solve, it's not going to solve that problem. However, first of all, let's not think that climate change is going away. Choices that we make just now, and particularly when it comes to choices that, that we have about, about having kids, those are choices which have effects for literally generations, for decades, that, those choices. Having fewer people being born emitting carbon is going to help address that problem in the long term. Secondly, I'm afraid to say the, um, uh, the climate crisis is not our only crisis, not by, not by a long way. The biodiversity crisis is every bit as scary. It's, it, it doesn't get the attention, and climate change rightly ha has the attention. But, uh, you know, I'm young enough to, I'm old enough rather to remember when we used to talk about conservation. Now what we talk about is the sixth mass extinction. The things that drive extinction, the things that drive biodiversity loss, things like habitat loss, all those kinds of things, almost all of them are driven by one of, sorry, one of the factors that drives almost all of those is population growth. And, this, and, and the scientists all left that. It's not the only thing. And this is a really clear message I want. We can't solve the world, the world's problems, through addressing, through addressing population. If we don't address population, if we don't address our numbers and, and find voluntary choice-based ways to bring them to a, a more sustainable level, we're not going to fix our environmental problems. In the term. We need to do both. That's not okay. a binary event. Ashley, anything you like? I thought empowerment might be. Yeah. It. So empowerment, sharing. <laughs> and I see this all the time. Like, as a, I'm not saying you should do this, but as a good person, just as a nice guy, you should do this. You know, you should. But, what you're actually saying, particularly with empowerment, is I give you the power to enact what I want you to do, right? So in, that's what empower. And when people don't enact that, they're 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 bad. You know, they're, they're if people actually have like a bottom-up kind of way of doing things that is fundamentally challenging to that that narrative that's given to them by the state or by uh, you know NGOs or whatever it is, international development policy, whatever, um, then they are you know bad. So like. 
Um, you want to empower. So there's another really good example of really bad ideas getting rehashed in therapeutic language. So we want to empower communities in Africa. So I, again, I was joking, and then I realized this is literally international development policy. So they say, like, um, uh, cultural continuity is so important to people. It's such an important part, particularly in Africa. What's happening is so many people have left. And then you've got these communities in the UK, for instance, that are really cut off from their homes. And so we want to just try to go and encourage people to have the social cohesion and community within African villages um, so that they, they don't feel the need to leave, which is a wonderful therapeutic way of saying Africans should go home. And, and, but that is literally what people are saying. Uh, like they think of, so if you wanna, if you have aspirations, you wanna move, if you wanna leave your squalid existence and you get into a rickety little boat and go across the, the water to try to get to the EU, that's the bad kind of empower, having power and deciding how you're gonna live your life. We wanna empower you to enact what we think you should do that works for our societies. Um, so I think, um, what, why, but what, what's scary about this, again, is that I actually prefer the, co the old kind of coercion because at least when you had a policeman beating your head, you know, your mind was still, it might be damaged physically, but <laughs> your mind was still yours, you know? Now, the power, the coercion is total because it's coming from you. It's coming from within. So it's very hard to fight against that. I'd actually prefer the, the outside coercion because then I know you are the enemy. I'm going to fight against you. Now, when I control myself, Who's the enemy? Me for what I did and what I chose. A uh, couple of things. Uh, first of all, in response to the question over there, I would absolutely support any non-cisgendered people seeking fertility treatment at any clinic that we're running, for sure. Um, I definitely don't think people should be singled out to, uh, to take one for the team. Um, small point on, um, I don't think we should get too much into the semantics of the word strike with this, um, I, you know, it's one of those words, isn't it, that you can use to mean a whole load of things. I have to confess, being a bit sad, one of my favorite TV programs is Strike Force, which involves a lot of hot Navy SEALs of both genders and all genders running around, blowing things up. Oh, and there's a really cool dog in it as well, blowing things up in defense of Western civilization. I don't think they're seeing it as a temporary thing. I think they're seeing strike as a means of fighting back. So, you know, I think there are lots of ways in which we can look at the word strike. What I am really now more freaked out about than ever is the doomsday scenario that you guys are presenting in terms of what you think the future is going to be like. And the response that we have to this, because... I don't really have time to get into, you know, big debate about how bad the climate crisis is. And I don't really know all that much about it. Um, but just putting it to one side, even if I assume that the climate crisis is as bad as you think it is, right? Not me, I, exactly. scientists. Well, I don't, okay, right. Even if I assume, right, that we are hurtling towards total doomsday by the time that your son has grown up. There's still a kind of thing in my mind about what I do about that, which is, and, and what I think can make a difference to it. So when I think about the new generation of people who are going to be born, 
I really genuinely do see them as being the problem solvers. I see them as being the brains and minds that can really develop the solutions to the problems that we have. And that's why, you know, it, that clearly doesn't translate into have as many children as you can have, folks, because among them there will be, you know, another science genius. Because, you, you know, but, but, but there is definitely a thing in saying we can either respond to the social problems that we've got by saying humanity has no ability to deal with it, or humanity has every ability to deal with it. And I like to look on the optimistic side of it. Frankly, David Attenborough's point about how the climate problems will be solved will depend on how many people. It's easier to solve them if there are fewer people than there are if there are more people. I absolutely would bet my year's salary that, that Attenborough thinks that the world is a better place because he is in it. He doesn't think that he is one of the people who shouldn't have been born as a contribution to, to, to all of this. I just think that we should really think quite carefully what it means when we say we can't address the problems that we've got going forward. Okay. I'll just say, say quickly on that. We are not saying we can't address the problems. We're not saying that's slightest. What we're saying is how severe the problems are. And just to respond to that point, if anyone imagines that 7.7 .7 billion brains on this planet aren't enough to solve our problems, then there is no hope for us. Yeah, I mean, I also have a son, and I'm on balance fairly certain that his life will be better than mine. And I think my grandson will also live to a ripe old age because statistically, projecting forward, that's what's likely to happen. And I think the real problem is that we have a very different vision of the relationship between the present and the future. And it seems to me that human history has shown us time and again that there are moments when we think that this is it. You know, around the year 1000, people were, you know, uh, as we went into the 11th century, they were kind of looking around, waiting for the world to end. They thought that was it, there was no solution to it. And I think, in general, human beings have had a fairly good capacity to solve problems. And it seems to me that you know, we have to ask ourselves, do we go down the road of imagining this worst-case scenario, you know, extinction happening, and I'm so worried about my child, which, you know, which is one way of looking at it, or do we actually think that we have some problems that we need to tackle, and on balance, if we uh, sort of you know, do what humans have always done, we'll find a solution to it. And I think what really worries me is that we're now going down the road of two different languages. We're now going down the road of two different visions. And some people in the West are, are literally pissing in their pants, and, and they're becoming so worried that they are almost paralyzing themselves and the younger generations by framing the future in such negative, destructive way. Whereas in other parts of the world, you know, I've just been to Asia recently, People say to me, you know, do you guys really believe what you're saying? You know, it, they just find incomprehensible that we're become, we lost confidence in our capacity as human beings. So we're virtually seeing everything in, in this kind of very black and white negative terms. And I, I think that as adults, we have a responsibility to actually give children and young people the confidence to work as problem solvers, to believe in their capacity to transform the world for a better, have a better future than to kind of give them this constant diet of scare stories, which actually, you know, sort of, when push comes to shove, will prove to be, you know, sort of, of, of limited significance, because we will find these answers. And I think we've got to believe in our children rather than imagine and worry about them, because 
they will teach us many very important lessons. Okay, next to you, and then behind you. Um, I've been talking and reading about uh, this with, um, with young people. Um, and one of the things that strikes me is that I don't think that when people think about um, whether they have children or not, whether they are thinking of it in terms of solving problems. Um, I think that um, it's, much more, it's, it's much more about whether that's something that you want to do. Um, and um, what really strikes me is that um, is it, I don't think that there are, uh, that amongst the younger people that there is a desire to have kids <coughs> or that they can necessarily imagine themselves having kids very easily. Um, so if you, look at, if you look at the reasons that people give um, when they talk about you know, whether, whether they would have kids or not, or, or more particularly why they don't want to have kids, you get answers like, well, you know, it's kind of expensive, um, and it would be a cramp to my, my lifestyle. Um, and, 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 it, and it's so interesting because it's like, it's like socialization and um, bringing forward the next generation is about making them want to do, making us want to do what we have to do to survive. Um, and right now, we don't want to do what we need to do to survive. And why do you think it is that that's changed? Or you know, maybe I'm wrong. I'd love to hear what the panel has to say about that. So first of all, Amphoradi, I think your point about choice was really, really uh, interesting and very true. Because in my opinion, feminism is all about the choice that women have to decide what their lives are going to be. And that is the message that is very heavy, heavily um, pushed, uh, not pushed around, but shown in uh, countries like the UK and the US. But I think that there is a bigger issue in that that message isn't carried across overseas. And so there are countries um, in different continents which are less developed and they don't have the access that they need to sex education and contraception. And they need that because they should be allowed to make the choice that they should have kids. But because they don't have that contraception, they don't have that sex education, they don't know the impact of what their choice is. So they can't decide for themselves what it needs to be. And it should be that way. They should get to make the choice. Because A, I guess in many ways that would help the population problem. And B, it's also just a fact women should get to choose no matter what because everyone should get to choose that's our right as a human being and i guess the question i just wanted to ask the panel in general is what do you think about that bigger issue of taking the message overseas first okay i'm sure we can come back to that on international family planning i just wanted to uh address something that Anne said which was about uh kind of it really reminds me of Brexit so much, and I hate to draw the parallel between, like, I speak to Brexiteers and they say, you know, we're gonna, you know, uh, you know, all the empiricism and all the facts and shit, and they point to, like, really bad stuff happening when Brexit actually goes down, if it does. Like, but somehow these Brexiteers have this, like, really romanticized idea about how the young people are so creative and they're gonna fix it, and, like, I really, it drives me kind of crazy because I don't think it's just, I'm 22, and like it's not just my responsibility. Like I'm, I'm creative as hell as well. But like, there's only so much I can do. <laughs> like, like I could, 
I, yeah. Uh, when I hear that we're hurtling towards some kind of uh, catastrophe in the environment in 12 years, I'm going to be 34 years old. If that's when it's kicking in, like, other than taking control of my personal life and, like, not having a car, not having kids, being vegan, not buying all the things that come in plastic. I don't know what you expect us to do. We need it, we need it to come from higher up. Like, young people are amazing and creative, but there's only a certain amount we can do if it's not coming from all of you as well, because you have more power than us right now. Following on from you, actually, because I was, I'm 32, so when I was in my second year at school, about 25 years ago, now, uh, someone came in to talk to us about the environment and he gave us quite a long and quite a scary talk about the environment and that things weren't going very well. Uh, and then at the end, he finished it, he pointed like a finger at this, this class and he was like, and it's going to be you and your generation that are gonna have to make the decisions and they're gonna have to, to deal with this and change this. And I remember thinking at the time, like, I'm seven. <laughs> I really remember sitting there being like, why, why, why are you pointing at me? Like, and I think that several generations have been told it's going to be you. Let's not be like our children are the ones that are going to be the problem solvers. Like, I mean, I've, I've listened to all of your arguments and I, I, I really don't know almost where I stand in terms of having children around this, but I'm like, if, you, if we see having children in the future is the way we're going to solve crises that are crises now, that's putting a huge burden on them. You're feeling that burden now, like 10 years younger than I am. And I remember feeling it then when I was seven, being like, I'm seven. So I think that, that saying, okay, so let's, let's see the children as a way out of this. And I know that's not exactly what you're saying, um, but having that is, is something that I, it just, suddenly, it just suddenly popped that memory up into my mind and I just think actually, through our, through our choices, whatever choices you make and however you choose to make them, we need to be making them now and in the past almost, basically. Can I just ask you, do you think, um, do you think people can solve problems? I mean, if it's not... Or, or where do you stand on this view about it just all seeming so big and impossible to do much about other than not have children and pull back? Or do you um, think problems can be solved by people well, doing things? Well, I think they have to be solved by people because I don't think there's anyone... There's, there's no... There's, we, we, it has to be solved by people, right? If, it, if it's going to be solved. There's, like... Do you, yeah, I mean... I don't, I don't really know. I guess that I would be... Like Blythe would say, everyone should be free to make their own choice. I appreciate that there's a lot of pressure and we are being given quite a moral... Quite a stressful... <laughs> Uh, set of ideas that we feel like we should be following. And it is stressful. Like, I'm 30, I have no idea if, I should, if I'm going to have children, if I should have children, whether or not I can economically have them, whether or not it's a good idea. And, like, I really think about it, like, I think about it every day. And I don't know, I have no answer. And it, and it, it is depressing. I think a lot of people would feel sad. Um, but I kind of see... I kind of see what, what you're all saying at the same time. Like, it, I think you can't, it, 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 it's, if we, all get, if we all get really depressed and are like, right, we, we can't have children, we can't enjoy anything, we've, we've got to focus on the fact that we're probably all gonna die, 
no one, no one wants to live like that for the rest of their lives. Like, and we're not going to solve the problems if we live like that for the rest of our lives. We're all going to be so depressed. We're not going to get out of bed and do anything. <laughs> so, um, but then at the same time, I think like to also take responsibility and try and face up to the fact that big things that could have really long-term impacts, and we have to think about that. We have to try and find solutions. So I don't really know the answer. Hi there. Thanks for all the. Um or your point of view. I just, I'm frustrated in a sense because I feel like probably, and it's probably, probably Boris Johnson's fault, but we've fallen into a bit of a political trap. We're talking about children, which is a biology question, and we're not talking about kind of altruism and free will, even though and we're talking about a choice question, we're not talking about those aspects of what compels people to have children from the, from the very beginning. This is reproduction has existed before we knew we existed. So I think those kind of things are relevant. Plus, I think it's important to acknowledge that we're living in, you know, the red island in a blue sea in terms of Brexit, in terms of being rich, um, in terms of all those factors. And we know that as people get richer and more educated, the birth rate falls off a cliff. So I guess I just want to have a more kind of, all the points are relevant in terms of personal choice, the libertarian argument, climate change, all those things are relevant and important. I just think we need to really expand it out. And I'm, I'm curious to what all you think about having bigger biological future-focused questions like, Let's analyze, is free will real? Is altruism real? Is the natural um, fallacy something that's driving how we have kids in life? So not very difficult questions there then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna take a couple down here, then I'm gonna to come to the front for quick comments, not big speeches, and then we've got time for one more lot. Um, so I would give more credibility um, to the movement of growth strike uh, and see it less of an act of virtue signaling if our population rate in the UK wasn't what it is. Um, so the uh, sorry, uh, the birth rate in the UK is what, like 1.2, um, you know? So uh, we've already seen the, the effects of like us having less children and being able to provide for the aging population and the NHS. Um, contrastingly, in other parts of the world, uh, the birth rate is much higher, you know, upwards of seven to 10 children, you know? Um, so likewise, if you look at greenhouse gases and emissions, the what we contribute in the West is far less than uh, compared to countries like India and China. That's so not true. My, my, uh, my question is, why do you think us having less children in the West will actually contribute an effect to combating climate change and uh, birth rates in, uh, in other countries? And would you advocate that non-Western people should not have children? I have four daughters, so I think I'm the worst person in the room. <laughs> And I'm sorry, I don't think, I'm not sure if they will be problem solvers. They are not interested in solving any problem at the moment. They're <laughs> troublemakers. <laughs> and, um, but um, what I'm asking myself, what is the role of a parent here, of an adult? How should we behave? And I'm quite shocked of the vocabulary that's raised here. Because, you know, growing up is a hard time. There's a lot of insecurities, a lot of thinking about what is my role. And it's the first time... Um, but I hear the social movement is saying, okay, you as a kid, as your pure existence is a problem. Right? It's a problem that you are here, and well, we can make some, something about it. But um, and I don't think that you will uh, get old. I think you will die soon because the world is coming to an end. <laughs> I think this is the worst thing you can say to a kid as a parent. And I think uh, even if I'm not sure that everything will be nice and we will solve the problems. My role is to make strong kids, to 
given a positive uh, uh, view on the future. Anne, do you want to start? Just to address one thing, and I'll maybe come back on some other things later. You, you, you know, I, I get the point about not saying we're all burnt out, we're going to hand over the problem to the next generation. I get that. Um, you know, people have been doing their age thing. I'm nearly 60, and believe me, I feel I'm still pretty creative, and I've got quite a lot of changes and so on that I want to bring into the world. But I think what we're really trying to get at is the way that, and the point was made at the front about how you can see a problem, and then you can determine how you're going to respond to it. And the most shocking experience that I've ever had, I think, was going to Singapore spending a week in Singapore, which is a very small, almost city-state country with no natural water supply. Um, and they're really worried about their population there because they don't feel they have enough people there to be able to generate the value that they think that they can do. They've got a water problem, so consequently they're invest investing in a massive desalinization of the sea, of the ocean, to give them the fresh water. They're doing a shed load of stuff on humidity and on virtual farming and on underground living to enable society to grow and develop using new technologies and stuff. And I think that's what I'm saying when I think we can be futuristically looking to solutions rather than just imagining we're not capable of dealing with it. I think, you know, you'd kind of at least want to try, wouldn't you? rather than just give up? No one is saying give up. The, point that, the most important point here is that we already know how to fix this. Our environmental problems are solvable today if we do so. So we're not looking for tech fixes in the, in the future. I mean, the reality is actually when it comes to dealing with, uh, with climate change, we are going to need some tech fixes in the future, but we've got enough people to create those already. But just to talk about, there's lots of, lots of changes we need, system change. You read environmental reports, significant environmental reports, like I, I do as part of my job. One word comes up over and over and over and over again, and that's transformation. It says we need to transform the way that we do things. What we're not going to do is sit around waiting for some sort of technical fix uh, for this. What, with with all, all due respect, I think what we've mostly heard from Anne and Ashley today is theory. What we've, mostly, what we've mostly heard here is notions of how things might be or how things were bad in the past or what the consequences of something might be. Let's talk practical. Let's talk about how, we how we're fixing. And sir, I do not tell my child he's a carbon emitter and that he's going, to he's going to burn to death in a little while. After we've done this, I'm going to watch the Sean Sheep movie with him and, <laughs> and, you know, and I'm going to encourage him to be positive and happy as he is and contribute what he can to the world. I'm saying what I said about about his future and our future to you as adults. It is not being negative, as I, as I said before, to recognize, um, recognize the negative side of this. But, you know, I, I'm here to talk about, uh, talk about population. That's my job. But before that, we need to understand we can fix our environment now. We must fix our environment now. And frankly, any discussion, and again, with all due respect to Anne, that implies that we're not in an environmental crisis is grossly irresponsible and it's going to lead to, uh, lead to a great deal of suffering. I don't think that the human race is going, to become, is going to become extinct. I think humans are incredibly resourceful. And I think at the end of the world, it'll just be us and the cockroaches left. Um, and I'm glad that I'm on us side, on the human side, not the cockroaches side. I don't think we're, we're going to go extinct any time soon. But we have to change our world 
rapidly and quickly. Address, if we don't address population, then we're storing up trouble for ourselves in the future, and it will make people's lives better now. But that's my key message. Fix it now. We can fix it now. Yeah, so to you, I would say have kids. They're great. Their purpose is not to solve problems. You know, they, they're wonderful. You watch them grow, and it's amazing. They enrich your life. And, and their purpose is within themselves. I think that the point, there's all, a ton of discussion in society that sees children basically as solutions to social problems. So we go into family life, and we try to get people, we turn raising children into a series of techniques designed to solve this or that social problem. It sucks all the joy out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to differentiate between what we're saying, which is a corrective to this idea of like, um, he's a carbon emitter, you know, I know it's a sad thing to say, but each child that's born is at least one less, you know, disgusting little mouth to feed. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, well, I'm being, I know, like I know, actually. I'm being, I'm being like flippant, I'm being flippant. Yeah. Uh, okay, so it's, you know, it's, it's this, it's a corrective to this tendency to see the human footprint in a profoundly negative way. So we say, look, human beings are not just mouths to feed, they are hands that can work, minds that can think, and so on. But that is different than saying they will solve the problems. It's just a corrective to that. And I think it's actually uh, it, very, very important to see children as ends in themselves, right, instead of seeing, um, seeing them as, as, as solutions. So it's, it's, if you fall too far on one side, you're, you're creating a problem. But I think what, what's, what's the issue here is that um, we're being invited to panic. And one of the reasons why I think this discourse is dangerous is because it deflects attention from actually thinking about the problem itself. So we have a conversation about choice, whether or not it's okay to have children and so on, rather than is that analysis of the problem actually correct? Is that why we have uh, climate issues? Is it because there are too many people on the planet? No, absolutely not. We don't live in a direct relationship as human beings with, the, with nature, with the, with the ends that we would put up. Um, and so instead of thinking about that, instead of thinking rationally about how we actually solve these problems, we're invited to panic. Right? And I can give you a whole list of really bad social policies that are constructed on the basis of panic. It's never a good idea to do that. We have to step back and think rationally. But instead, we're, we're all, that's it, the world is ending, and the question is, do you, is it okay to bring children into this catastrophe? That is not a good way to solve problems. No? Uh, sorry. <laughs> so I think actually a lot of, a lot of us uh, have a lot of points that cross over, and I don't think we're actually at odds in as many ways as we're sort of being framed as. Um, collective action, being, being realistic about the situation that we're in doesn't necessarily mean being depressed. It doesn't necessarily mean being overly uh, negative. Those are values that are, are being put on it. Um, and uh, I would say that it's, it's potentially incredibly um, positive if you want to give it a negative or positive spin, then it's incredibly necessary. It's potentially very positive for us to realistically look at what's happening and then look for solutions. Obviously, I'm not pitting that birth rate reduction is going to be a solution necessarily. It might be a small way, but I don't think it's going to be a solution to the climate crisis or whatever's happening. But I do think it's just very interesting. This whole conversation is really interesting because the whole time I created birth strike, I've basically been saying, I'm not judging people. We're not judging people. We're just saying what we're doing. And we're trying to communicate to people how uh, the situation that we're in, in terms of uh, our species, it feels like there's a lot of differences in the room in, in terms of how people are viewing the climate crisis and whether it's really that much of an issue or not. I think maybe we just 
need to go and inform ourselves about what's really happening. But I would say to you two ladies who stood up in the middle and you talked about a lot of the stuff that I've been really struggling with, you know, whose responsibility is this and like putting it all on myself. It's a collective, we need to work on this as a collective. We need collective action. And one of the problems with, and potentially the problem with birth strike, especially as the way it's been sort of put out in the media and means that a lot of people consider it to be that we're trying to coerce people to not have kids and we're blaming um, population for it for the, uh, to be as part of the issue, is that people are constantly dissuaded from seeing ourselves as, as, as political ag agitators. And actually what we really need is to address the consumption issue. And we are, we're over-consuming. Uh, and the, the top 10% people who, top 10% of, what am I trying to say? Top 10% wealth of wealthy people in the world are contributing 70% to that problem. And so we have a huge issue, which is overconsumption and inequality. And those are the two things I'd much, I'd prefer us to be really talking about. Um, but for Birth Strike, it, it was a way of getting that conversation into places like mainstream media that are immediately alarmed and interested by um, the topic of reproduction because they just want to talk about that. Whereas, like last year, no one really wanted to talk about the climate crisis at all. It was a don't touch it with a barge pole issue. So it did help to get it out there. Um, but ultimately, what I would say to everyone is get your boots on and start attacking the system because it's the system that's the problem. We are forced to consume, to overconsume, and it's part of the way that the system works. Okay. So, yeah, get political rather than Can focusing on it okay. as an individual passive okay I, i'll take everyone i can who still wants to speak i think that birth strike um by being an activist kind of group or a movement takes a personal decision and makes it a group moral kind of decision you create a tribe for someone to join and rightly or wrongly activism and environmentalism are cool now they're things that uh, young people think are a cool thing to kind of be involved in and birth strike might be just an easy way to kind of act on that and it, it takes that personal agency of a real personal decision about whether to bring a life into the world and makes it a, a kind of a, a, an act of activism, which I, I, I kind of uh, intense with. I tend to agree with Frank that the world will be a lot better for our children and grandchildren. That has been the trajectory of uh, travel for the last uh, number of years. And we've exponentially, as technology has improved, we've exponentially improved the quality of life and poverty is uh, lowering at a rapid rate. Um, but I'll play devil's advocate and imagine if my children in the future, if the world is going to be as bad as the doomsdayers say, right? I don't think that's only the only measure of a human life. There's human beings, not human doings, right? They experience a range of conscious uh, experiences in a lifetime. Um, Man's Search for Meaning was one of the most inspiring books ever. And he found meaning in his life, even though it was incredibly uh, full of hardship. Mm. In that lifetime, even if it is the end of the world, that person might fall in love, might have so many positive conscious experiences that would just wouldn't exist otherwise. Um, on the topic of what's driving women to not want... Uh, no, yeah, I think that, yeah. Just one point, anybody. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm sorry, but I, I, I do find that there's a lot of disingenuous discussion going on here because... You're all presenting this as if you're, you're very reasoned and everything. But actually, when you look at the, what's happening in terms of the dialogue, 
All we have to do is think about Greta Thunberg. Think about her. 16-year-old kid, scared shitless, who now the whole entire adult society is deferring to, from the Pope to the Archbishop of Canterbury to the plutocrats of Davos to the European Parliament to the UK Parliament. Everybody is looking at her and saying, she's right. She's, the, she's this prophet. And what's her message? Her message is that we, the older generation, are shit, that we've created this problem, we are the problem, you have taken away my future, and our role as young people is to panic. And I don't really... The problem here is you're setting up such a dialogue, such a rotten assumption, that it robs the potential of anybody looking at the world and looking at themselves as being capable of solving this problem. You're kind of paralyzing the future because you've got a generation of people who believe that they have no responsibility, that the adults have absconded uh, from, from the room, they've left the building, and that they are somehow going to be left to, 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 to pick up the can. And all they can think about is, well, we just have to cut back on what we're doing. We have to rein in our ambition. We have to stop the potential of us becoming the problem solvers of the future. And so the message here is, is really, really backward. It's, it's, it's the most socially backward movement in the history of, of mankind. Okay, that's very clear. You're robbing us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So behind you and then down to the front here, and I'm afraid, I'm really sorry, I can't take you again. We're going to have time. Um, I just, the <clears throat> one thing that keeps coming to mind is how this movement, or how the dealing with the ecological crisis kind of mimics a lot of other big crises, financial crises, or, you know, um, access to rights that have happened a lot over our history. And it seems to me that generally sweeping change doesn't come from looking across the aisle and blaming immigrants and minorities and women, which is often like an easy scapegoat. And I think that, and my accent gives away the fact that my country has not <laughs> pulled its weight um, in this, <laughs> the States, sorry, um, in this crisis. But I do think that it really is the responsibility of the state to sort of make um, good decisions for the environment and not necessarily on individual young people and women to, to make those decisions. This is kind of a strange question given that we're at the Battle of Ideas, but I think what I wanted to ask is how has this question even um, like, why are we having children? I think that just sums up so much about society at the moment. Like, how no one our age can make a simple decision. Like, it is so hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I was talking, I remember I was talking to my grandma the other day, and she was like, Oh, yeah, I took these A levels and then just did this, and no one believed that I would get anything from it, but I did it because I wanted it to. to. And now, in education, it's like you have to do this to get here, to get here, to get here, because then you need a job. But oh wait, if you get a good job, you can't actually do it because then you're like going to harm the environment by over-consuming. And it's like everything has been made into a massive thing. And I think that's what the issue of this question is. No one now can think, oh, I want a kid. Can I have a kid? No. That's just not a decision. And I think what my question is, is why is it all made so complicated? And I think we can look at mass media and be like, oh, it's a good thing, it's getting everything out there. But everything, people are trying to put their point of view and they're not 
nothing's corresponding, so no one knows what they think. The state don't know what they think, so they're putting it on young people, and young people don't know what they think, so they're relying on the state to tell them. So it's just getting very confused on how we can fix that. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Great point to end on from the floor. I think it is really, really hard and really confusing, and I think, you know, we're in this position because we are, we've been lied to for a very long time, and ideally, you know, our societies and our authority figures would have acted on the science a long time ago and we perhaps could have done things in a lot slower way. We wouldn't have had to be um, so freaked out in so many different ways. We wouldn't have to deal with structural racism across the world and all the kind of issues that we've been trying to deal with for such a long time at the same time as trying to deal with the climate crisis and all the exacerbating factors that it makes. Um, so it is very hard, but I think we should look at it and I think uh, that we can try our best and we can live well while we're trying our best. And just because we're consuming less doesn't mean you have to live worse. <laughs> just because you're looking at the problem and you're trying to solve it doesn't mean you have to be depressed. Um, just because you're not having kids doesn't mean you have to be depressed. Um, even if you have kids, you can, you can live a good life in this period of time. I think a lot of people have made a really great point that um, you know, life, life, the value of life is... Um, is relative. It's relative to how you feel, where you've been, where you've been brought up, um, what your experiences are. So I hope that everyone doesn't in this room doesn't feel um, too pressurised when it comes to to giving birth. But it just is a, it is an issue of our time, and I guess that's what Birth Strike is is talking about and bringing up and bringing to the fore. Um, I'd also recommend that if you've read about us through the media, then you probably. Uh, it'd be great if you just looked up our website, which is birthstrikeforfuture.com, because it just clears up a lot of um, the issues that have been talked about in the room, especially yours over there, um, and links to a lot of really interesting resources. Um, no coercion, just check out the website and make your own decision. Um, thanks for listening. Okay. Um, what concerns me is how there's so little pushback against these kinds of ideas. So if you frame this as your understanding of what the system is, you would get pushback, and quite rightly, I think. And if you think it is a systemic problem, then we ought to have a conversation about the system. What exactly is it? How do you understand it? If you think of it as a systemic problem, then the solution is actually technological. The important thing, um, it's important to realize that the good thing about capitalism is how it freed so many people to consume. That's the good part of capitalism. The fact that it has, it has raised so many people out of poverty. I am immensely freer because I can press a button on a coffee machine and it goes bean to cup. I love this coffee machine. Uh, and, and I don't have to sit. That's something that would have taken such a huge amount of labor in the past. And, I, and, and that frees me to do other things, to think and create and whatever, because I don't have to spend my day toiling away to reproduce my existence. The question is, how, how do we release this technology, the huge, you've got immense forces of, uh, of production that, you know, human beings could never have dreamed of in the past, and we're using them to, like, churn out little rubber ducks. Like, that is immensely wasteful. It, that, that's crazy. We could be using this to create things that are really good for human beings. And so the question is, how do we release that <laughs> incredible technology and consumption from some of the more destructive forms that it takes? Um, and so if the problem is, you know, 
how you frame a problem really invites a particular solution. So if the problem is species and so on, then the question, then the answer is make less of us, make less of this species. The problem is consumption, consume less. If the problem is systematic, we have to understand exactly what the system is, and we have to decide and figure out whether or not that is the correct understanding of the system, and we need to follow the most progressive parts of that system forward into the future. What is it that's good about this system? Uh, and, and how do we release that from its more destructive effects? And with our eyes always on the future and always on human freedom as an uncompromising goal. Okay. I very much take your point you made earlier on about difficult choices. The, the fact is that we are not the last um, 80,000 years of human history. We're in a place now that we've never been in before. And the choices that we have to make now are all really difficult choices. There, there are no simple choices. And I wish it hadn't happened to you and your generation or it wasn't something that was happening to my generation. But let no one be in any doubt about the situation we're in. It doesn't matter what's ta ever taken place before. The situation we're in now involves us all making, uh, making choices and changing things. And I go back to what I said earlier on about you read this word transformation over and over and over again. And we're on a very short timetable. To make, to make those transformations. So what we need is the energy and, and the positivity and the belief that, belief that we can do it more than anything. But what we don't want is just to sit around and go, well, is something else gonna solve it? We have to solve it ourselves. And going back to, you know, we're talking about birth and we're talking about population here because it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the nature of, the, of this debate. There's plenty of other things which we all know that, that, that need addressed here. On, on the population issue, if, that if we can have fewer new people coming onto this planet, it will make it easier for us to solve all our, prob all our problems. It's, it's pretty much a statement of fact. The way we can do that is by positive means, by empowering people, not by coercing people or anything else. That is part of the solution. But the point is that we need to be focusing on the solution, on the things that we know that we can do. And the recipe is already there. We don't need to look for some new thing. It's there in the IPCC reports. It's there in the IPBS reports. It's, it's there in multiple things that we see. So just, so just quickly, very much emphasizing what Bly said. Please read Birth Strike's website. Please read, please read our website because we've, there's so much that we haven't been able to touch on uh, here just now. Make, make yourselves informed. We can make a difference, but we do have to, have to do it now. And we mustn't, we mustn't discount any ethical, positive choice that we can make in whatever form, including about, about the number of children that we have. Well, I guess in some ways we've heard the arguments about two different visions of where society is now and two different visions of where society is in the future, and you, you make your decision about which one you think is the most compelling to you. Um, I mean, what I would say is that um, no one has got the responsibility to have a child. I don't think anyone's suggesting that you have to have a child. I don't think that's a solution for society. I don't think not having a child is going to be a solution for society. I don't think that the solution lies in decisions that we make about the birth of, the, of, of, of additions to our families. Um, what I would say is that, and what really worries me, is when we lose the, the, when we lose the distinction, as I think someone was indicating down here, between private decisions and intimate decisions and public and social change decisions. And what I honestly believe is that to get pregnant or to keep a, a pregnancy when you've got pregnant is one of the most personal and private 
and intimate decisions that we can take. I've got every sympathy with those of you who are sort of saying, oh, I don't know really what to do about this and I don't know how I'll feel about having children. Of course you don't, because it's not a decision that most of us take in the abstract for a whole number of pro and con reasons. Typically what happens is that we decide to have children or indeed to not continue the pregnancy that we have had unintentionally according to the circumstances of our lives there and then. And a lot of that is to do with the relationships that you are in at that particular time. And so what I would say is that, you know, you take those decisions according to what you think that you can best do, both for your own life, but also for the world going forward. But basically, hunkering down under the bunker, I don't think is going to bring any solution around at all. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts and subscribe to them, visit academyofideas.org.uk forward slash podcast.